0: Welcome to Franklin Covey's On Leadership podcast. I am Lena Renee. I'm the guest host today for our podcast, and I have the very special pleasure of interviewing Scott Miller, who is your standard host and who will be your host in the future. Welcome, Scott, <laughs> to the On Leadership podcast.
1: Lena, thank you. If anybody <laughs> were to take my place, it would be you. So don't do too good of a job today, right?
0: <laughs> you can count on me not I because can. you are very talented oh, and it hardly. feels very special to be in this chair. I picked one of
1: my favorite mentors and also friends and colleagues to take that chair so it's much easier being over here so good luck to you thank you,
0: you. <laughs> yeah thank you thank you actually i get to put you on the hot seat today as we talk about master mentors Woo-hoo. volume number Woo-hoo. 2 <laughs> congratulations scott thank you thank you coming out right now yes, just released. off the press just yes. released how are you feeling i'm
1: elated you know it's the second book in the 10 volume series yes We held a launch party a few nights ago you were a guest because you are one of the mentors that i feature in the book and as i mentioned the party you know i think the first half of my life career was very much having the spotlight focused on me everyone knows that that knows me (laughs) and i think as i've matured hopefully that i want to spend the next half of my career half my life really Mm -hmm. turning that light metaphorically around and shining on others i also mentioned that i probably have like most people never had an original thought in my life when I got past that depressing statistic, I realized that, you know, that's true. And what I can do, however, is be a great aggregator, Mm -hmm. a great pollinator, distributor of others' ideas by giving them credit. And one of the privileges of being the host of this podcast now for, gosh, 250 episodes is we've learned an amazing amount from amazing thought leaders. And if I can be a pollinator of some of the transformative insights from our guests shared on or off the air. What an amazing platform and spotlight that I have. And so you're gonna see the light a little dimmer on me and a little more bright on people like you and others that are in the books.
0: Well I will say Scott, Master Mentor number fifty five is my favorite title right now. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> I feel it's very you. honored it's, you. <laughs> it's me. I do I featured
1: you as One of the uh, two, you've written two best-selling books. You're a double Wall Street Journal best-selling author on both time management productivity and on customer employee loyalty. And you've said some very profound things with your co-authors, Sandy and Sean, around how do you build a culture where people feel valued, where they're loyal to you. Yes. And so I appreciate you agreeing to be featured in the book.
0: Thank you. And it's a real pleasure to be. You know, Scott, something you said that resonates with me, and I hope you're okay if we get real, real, real fast. (laughs) So... Today's world, I think we're in a unique space of thought leadership and authorship. A couple of years ago, a whole bunch of brilliant people went into the pandemic and they went into their heads and their hearts and their minds and they came out with brilliant thoughts. So what I'm finding as someone who is a perpetual learner is that there is a lot out there to curate and a lot to sift through in the thought leadership. What I appreciate so much about this book is what you just said. It's like you've curated for me all of this brilliant thought when there's a lot of great thought out there yeah. right now. And I will say in podcasts, maybe that's not so unique, but in the book world, that is unique and special. I mean, podcasts frequently you'll have a new person every week. But this this is very unique and very special in book form where you've said, here are 30 people who have Great thoughts to share. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts on what I'm saying? Does that feel well, true to you? It was risky.
1: That's exactly. In fact, the first publisher passed on the series, they felt it was too episodic. Mm-hmm. HarperCollins got the the genius, that is Scott Miller. Yes. <laughs> they got the genius and because, like you and I, everyone's so darn busy. Yeah. And I I like the kind of books I can read for 8 to 12 minutes at night when I'm exhausted and I'm falling asleep, yes. and I can pick it back up the next night. So my books are fast, they're easy, they're breezy, they're not research-based, by strategy, they're not good to great or built to last, kind of Jim Collins books Mm -hmm. or multipliers like Liz Wiseman, whose books I love. This is like chicken soup for the leadership soul. Mm -hmm. This is with the permission of guests on the podcast. I've curated one transformative thought from each person and shared a a story, sometimes a tender story about them or about me or someone else, that you can read this book in 30 settings. Heck, you can read it in one flight because it's short and easy, and I'm not embarrassed that it's sort of a water ski kind of book because I do think the book has something to offer for everyone based on where they are in their life. Just divorced, just married. Had a child, lost a parent. Been bankrupt, just launched a business. Been promoted, been demoted. Mm -hmm. And so all I'm doing is taking the genius that is of these mentors, and like I said before, shining a spotlight on it, and then sharing maybe how I've either struggled or in some rare cases succeeded, living my life in alignment with their principle.
0: And I really love the format. As someone who does read all of those other types of books, just like you do, for me, this is really accessible. And and just like you said, I've been reading, so I just got my copy last week, and I've been doing the one-a-night story, like as I'm in my bed, last thing, one night. But the way you have it structured is you do have amazing stories. You're a great storyteller. These people have amazing stories. We'll get into some of those in a moment. But then you have, at the end of the chapter, you've got an insight, a question, And new to this book, you've got a QR code in most of them. Tell us about that. Well, thanks.
1: Thank you. You're a good interviewer. I'm getting nervous here. (laughs) (laughs) You might take my spot after all. That's exactly right. I put the QR code in because it's the QR code that takes you to their On Leadership episode. So if you liked the chapter, want to learn more about someone, you can scan the QR code and see the video of me actually interviewing them to get the full story. What I hope the book does is it creates a bit of a curated reading list for people. I'm not trying to usurp their books. I want you to go read their books. In fact, I've given you a lot of book recommendations in the book. I hope that it it becomes a little bit of a, maybe like a spotlight onto them to say you gotta go, if you want to learn more about this topic, yes. go read their book. Yes. I in no means uh, felt the book should be – like a, a cliff notes of their book. Not at all. Right. It's, here's something about them. If this resonates, go watch the podcast, go research them, and go buy their book.
0: Yes, and, and yet, even within each little chapter, the lesson is very poignant. I mean, it's, you're not condensing what they're doing, no. but the stories yeah. are complete, and the thoughts yeah. are complete, and the insight is complete Thanks. on its own. So, so really, really well done. Are
1: you by chance on the Pulitzer Prize Committee? Do you like, because I'm liking <laughs> Do I want to vote that for you? I, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right, I take one concept. Yes that they shared sometimes on air, sometimes off air. The good stuff usually is shared off air, but with their permission, uh, I write the chapter with with hardly an exception. They just say, "Yes, yeah, God, I trust you, you can write it. There's yeah. a couple of edits here and there, but they're <laughs> inconsequential.
0: yeah. Well, let's get into a few of the stories, because I will say, some of the people in this book have extraordinary, yes. I mean, yeah. extraordinary yes. stories. unrelatable. <laughs> Un- unrelatable? Yeah. I mean, some are more like me. It's a little little understated, <laughs> a little more boring, yeah. but some of them are extraordinary. And yeah. in fact, the very first person has an extraordinary story to share. Can you start with that one?
1: I will. Uh, ten books in the volume, in the series. Yeah. So I feature 30 in each book. So volume one was Mentors 1 through 30, and volume two is Mentors 31 through 60. So Master Mentor volume 31 is a man named Zafar Masood. He's the CEO of the Bank of Punjab in Pakistan. And I share a remarkable story. You have to watch the actual interview, but I share a story of how he traveled a lot in Pakistan as the CEO of this bank. And one particular weekday in the middle of the pandemic when the planes were just starting to get back in the air, I think it might've even been May of 2020. 2020 yeah. He boarded a Pakistani Airlines flight, I think from Lahore to Karachi or one of those, to go see one of his offices. And he always takes seat 1B. So the forward cabin, the aisle seat. And this particular morning, taking the same flight, about an hour, hour and a half, he's taken many times, he gets to the airport early and realizes he's been assigned to seat 1A, the window seat. He does some finagling, gets moved over to 1B. Plane takes off, normal flight, hour in the air. Uh, He sleeps a little bit. And right before they land, the plane comes into the airport and has a really rough landing. And the plane immediately takes back off again, something that happens maybe once in your life. If you've flown right. a lot, maybe once in your life will a plane aboard in a landing. Hopefully not. Plane takes off, comes back around. The landing was kind of so um, jarring that the cockpit door flew open. And Zafar could kind of see the pandemonium happening in the cockpit and the horror on the eyes of the flight attendants and the pilots. The plane comes back around for a second landing, and what no one realized is actually the pilots had failed to lower the landing gear on the plane. So the actual belly and engine of the plane hit the ground. What had disabled the airplane, the plane crashed. But it crashed in this densely populated residential neighborhood. Broke apart in midair. 98 people lost their lives. Crew, passengers, grandmothers, grandchildren. 98 people died. Two lived, Zafar and one other. Zafar's chair broke loose of the plane and he landed, Lena, upright, still strapped into his chair. Unconscious and on fire, his seat, 1B, lands on the top of a roof of a building. Upright, slides down, it falls off of the roof and lands upright, still on fire, unconscious, strapped in on the roof of a car occupied by two young men getting ready to turn the car on to go to work that morning. And they're sitting in their car and all of a sudden all the windows blow out of their car, including the windshield. They come to and they see a man strapped in an airline seat on fire on the front of their roof, their hood. They get out, they rescue him, take him to safety. He survives with enormous survivor's guilt. Of course. That's a thing. Yes. And lives to tell about it. And... It's an amazing story, incomprehensible, but the, the best part of the story isn't what I just told you, this incomprehensible survival. While, by the way, all the fuel is now spread across this neighborhood and everything is engulfed in flames, people on the ground are dying, buildings are going up in flames, 98 people on the plane died. Safar goes on to tell this amazing story of, very quickly, what became important to him. Yes. He was single, was not married, didn't have a family other than his you know, extended relatives, and... He became very clear about having a kind of humor, human-centered approach to leadership, really putting first things first, getting clear on your values. And the insight that I write about is sort of, what's next? I wanted all of the readers not to have to go through a life-or-death plane crash to get serious around, so what are you going to do in your life?
0: Yes. And I write
1: a story about how within one week after interviewing Zafar, my oldest son, who was about 11 at the time, was writing an assignment for school. And he had to write down all of his traditions, this is Thatcher. He's my 12 year old now, Love him. named after my hero Margaret Thatcher. Yes. And he's writing a story about all of his family traditions. And I peered over his shoulder and he said, We go to church on Sundays, we go to brunch at the club, and sometimes we watch movies. <laughs> and I like had this horrifying epiphany. I'm like, Those aren't traditions. Those are activities. Those are things that we do with some regularity. Those aren't traditions. And I was thinking of Safar's story and how limited my life is going to be yes, and so my wife and I went out searching for a cabin like to you know catch fireflies and build bonfires and install zip lines and not like a Beverly Hillbillies kind of cabin right not like a cabin <laughs> but like you know kind of a rustic cabin <laughs> in the woods that won't require us to you know limit our 401k but it's an amazing chapter to think about so what's next in your life what's really important to you and don't make it t- take some life-changing altering thing where your seat yeah. falls from the sky to get you clear on your values
0: what I find really profound about what you just said is, I will never relate to the experience of surviving a plane crash. Hopefully like not. a handful of right. people on the planet right. ever will survive. Flying's it. very safe. Yes, and and, and surviving that and all, all that comes, and yet the point made is very relatable. Yes, yeah. right. right. It's, it, you don't have to survive a plane crash to ask what matters most to me and mm. how do I structure my life to
1: and act on that. it. Right. When you go home tonight and to your children and your husband, what will you do? When will you turn off the laptop? When you take off your phone and your and your um, take off your you know iPhone or what is that called? iWatch Apple Watch. Sorry, one <laughs> Scott. Yeah, yeah,
0: whatever it is. And
1: uh, and check in.
0: One question um, as an aside: Do you keep in tight contact with many of all your mentors? of them? Yes, yes. Okay. I text most
1: of them, and they come yes. to my house for dinner, and yes. we email, and they help to promote the book, and I become very dear friends with many of them. Yes. That's been the luxury now. Of my celebrity network, Elena. <laughs> no.
0: Well, no, it Including is special. Me. I mean, you and I are friends, so I knew we were close. I just didn't know if you yes, kept in touch with everyone. So. That's I, really we special. we email back and forth. And That's yeah. super special. Yes. So you mentioned that you had a launch party for the book the other yes, night. Yes. And I was so honored to be there. And part of the reason I had, I mean, it was such a great night. You know how to throw a party. But one of my favorite parts was I got to meet Bobby Herrera. Yeah who is incredibly charming and mm-hmm. so lovely, and he was able to share his story yeah. with the group and kind of the takeaway lesson. Can I ask you to, uh-huh. in place of Bobby, share some yeah. of his story and the lesson from that I'll
1: chapter. do my best, I'll try to keep it short, but some of these stories are so profound. Oh, so profound. They're shortchanged if you don't tell them. Bobby Herrera, uh, Mexican by birth, Latino by race, born in Mexico, one of 13 children to a very humble family. Uh, fortunately, I think it was his father and his mother met a connection in New Mexico, a farmer, and the farmer offered them a job on their ranch, and they showed up with like 13 kids. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not what I had in mind, but Bobby actually was the first of those children to actually be born in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And Bobby was raised in very humble means, one of 13 children, and played, I believe it was uh, basketball, basketball or football basketball. Basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, in high school, and uh, he and his brother, would play on the, on the high school team. And every night after their basketball game, win or lose, the team bus would stop at a local restaurant. And all of the teammates would leave the bus and go in and have dinner, except for the Herrera brothers. They always stayed on the bus. Everybody knew this because there was no money for both sports equipment and dinner. And so every night after the basketball game, everybody got off and the Herrera brothers stayed on, Bobby and Ed and ate the brown bag dinner that their mom had packed for them. It was just something everybody knew happened. Can you imagine how humiliating that would be? I can't even imagine. Yeah. I was not raised it's in tough. a wealthy family, but we had $5 to go and get yes. a hamburger. My sense is it wasn't Roos Chris; It was probably right. more like the Sizzler, right? That's or right. Crown Burger or something. And that was the routine. Until one night, one of the fathers of one of the boys that was in the restaurant reboarded the bus and walked back, and get emotional telling the story, walked back to the Herrera brothers and said, I'd like you to be my guest at dinner. I'm paying the tab. No one needs to know. All I ask in the future is that you work to pay forward the same to somebody else. And it's an emotional story because in all of our lives, someone has reboarded the bus for us, literally or metaphorically. Someone has seen us. And Bobby says it was the first time in his life as a teenager, Lena, he'd ever felt seen by anyone. He couldn't see tomorrow, let alone next year or the rest of his life. He was a Latino immigrant that was just struggling to make ends meet in his family, working on a farm. And here he felt seen for the first time in his life. The the power that this man had to reboard the bus Mm -hmm. and invite he and his brother to dinner was life-changing. He went on and served um, honorably four years in the US Army. He went on to become a very wildly successful entrepreneur and wrote a book called The Gift of Struggle. It's a beautiful short book around how struggle in life builds character and builds us to who we are. And the transformational insight, I call it being a transition figure, quoting our co-founder, Dr. Stephen R. Covey, but I want the readers or listeners of the book to think about who boarded the bus for you, but who will you reboard the bus for also? Because all of us have power, financial power, principle-centered power, positional power, or coercive power, utility power, all kinds of power we have to make other people feel seen. Because a lot of us don't feel
0: seen. Yeah. And, and you told the story beautifully. It is emotional. Every time I hear it, it's emotional to hear. I, I think sometimes it's easy to see people who are high profile, right? Or it's easy to pay it forward to someone that already has a platform. And yet this power of that story and where I've really been thinking is he boarded the bus for these, there was nothing those two teenage boys could do for him. I mean, it, there wasn't an exchange he was after in that moment. It really was a gift that he was giving it was. to Bobby Herrera.
1: Selfless, and the gentleman who boarded the bus, Mr. Teague, um, had no idea the impact on Bobby until Bobby found him 25 years so later. After he wrote this book, found him, invited him to his launch party later, and told him in front of a huge audience the impact that this one experience had had in his entire life. And Mr. Teague later writes to him and says to him, I remember that moment. I had no idea the impact on you, and you've actually made my life feel like I had a purpose. So I want the readers and listeners of this book to not just thank the people that made them feel seen, but to think about the people in your network, professionally, personally, who might not be feeling seen, and go pay them a well-earned, specific compliment. It could be, I like how you put your family first. I like how focused or disciplined you are. I like the fact that you are vulnerable and can admit your mistakes. It's a great model. Whatever it is, all of us want to be heard, and all of us want to be seen.
0: Yes. Be validated. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Thanks for letting me share it.
0: Oh, yeah. Beautiful story. And it really was such a pleasure. He was such a happy person. Yes, he, he has is. has such a contagious great Contagious personality. Yes, He's yes.
1: had ups and downs. His life has not been without lots of challenge, including lately with some family issues and a business in the pandemic. But he continues to be an energy infuser. Yeah. And that's contagious.
0: He really is really special. So thank you. Thank you for that one. And again, just to underscore for me, the lesson was what opportunities do we have in the moment to connect with and see someone? And That's it doesn't right. take a big effort, it right? doesn't. just a yeah. small effort. Right. Okay, are you okay if we keep moving on? Please, along? please. Okay, so master mentor number 37 is Tiffany.
1: Aliche. Alice. Tiffany Alice. So she's known as the budget nista. She's a very prominent uh, author, b- po- podcaster, blogger, newsletter writer in the, in the um, personal finance space. Um, African-American expert, educator by profession, and became an expert. She speaks primarily to um, minority financial issues, but, she, but her principles, you know, your credit score is your credit yes. score, right? But her, one of her passions is, is helping minorities build their financial house in order. And she wrote a book up in the wall up here uh, about making sense of your financial house, but I chose not to write about that in the book. Because although her, her insights are extraordinary, my own credit score hopefully has raised a point or two, I'm still waiting for it to eclipse my SAT score, which isn't hard, just so you know, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, but what I wrote about is that Tiffany's a great example. There's no such thing as overnight success. There is overnight fame, and it's often ill-gotten and fleeting. Yeah. But there is no such thing as overnight success. Tiffany has nearly 10,000 reviews on her Amazon uh, account. I might have 250 for my best book, 10,000. She is a force of nature in the financial world, but she did not burst from the scene. She, like most people on this wall in this book, toiled for years building their craft, whether it was auditioning for movies you never knew Matthew McConaughey got a denial for, or it was you know podcasts that never got released or pilots on television that we've learned from celebrities never got you know, made into movies or books that flopped. She wrote a newsletter for weeks and weeks and weeks, for eight years, building her database, building her social media, building her posse, her community, before she launched her book. And that's what I wrote about is how I think sometimes we get enamored by the flash in the pan or the overnight success. Oh, it's not that way. Everyone on this wall, I can tell you their multi-year, multi-decade journey on all the things you have no idea, their struggle to get to where they were. The thousands of setbacks, bankruptcies, failures, no's they got before you saw them exploding on TikTok or Instagram. Maybe not now for some of the younger ones, right? (laughs) I don't interview those people. I'm not opposed to it. But she's a great example of the good old-fashioned aspect of hard work and building your brand, which takes Years and years and years of making and keeping commitments.
0: You know, that lesson for me is resonating in that it is really easy to see either in the book, the 30 people you have here or on the wall, all these authors. And, and there's this inherent admiration. Mm-hmm. And it would be easy to turn that admiration into self Doubt yes. or, or shame. Yes. I don't know what the right word would yeah. be, but like doubt of yourself. When you're saying like, look how much they've done and how I have not done that. And I find it really inspiring to say, that's, that's not the reality. What- it's not.
1: Can I, can I add to that? Yes, please. I was on a podcast as a guest recently, and one of the hosts asked me, what was the red thread? What was the defining theme amongst them all? And I thought about it, and he didn't like my answer. In fact, he pushed on me for about 10 minutes. I held my own. I said, I have to tell you, hard work. I mean, Jack Canfield, right? Chicken Soup for the Soul. It sold 500 million copies. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't need another dollar. He came on our podcast. John Gray, Men Are From Mars, Men Are From Venus. Mm-hmm. I mean, these people are still out there. They're
0: icons. They're, they're, yeah.
1: they're working. John Maxwell, right? Came on our mm-hmm. podcast. Does not need to be one more podcast. And it's not for the fame. Right. These people are just are passionate about what they do, and they're committed to continuing to evangelize their message. And the same with these mentors. is The defining theme amongst them is... Uh, A, they're very abundant people. They're not scarce. They're abundant people. Hmm. But they are hard-working people. And I think there's still a place in society in the success formula for not just work smarter, amen to that, but also... Hard work is it's a differentiator. Hard work. It yes, is.
0: Yes. And and not to say that they don't have their down days and feel like they're and exhausted or setbacks, sure. setbacks. And it's despite that, right? It's, yeah. I'm still going to wake up. You don't and see those. Grind.
1: You don't right. see those. You just see the right. Netflix documentary. You see right. the best selling book. You see the products on Target. But what you don't know is what, what it took to, to uh, prototype and to launch things that didn't happen or that they failed at the last minute or whatever it was. I have countless stories of, of icons that would tell you, oh, you have no idea. How hard it took how and how much hard. failed yes. to get to where you now think I'm, yeah, let me tell you Freezed the back Breezed into, but That's it wasn't right. that
0: way. That's you right. know, with, uh, with Tiffany, what's interesting is, like you said, she's got this brand around something different from what you picked it's for true. the book. yeah. So can you talk yeah. about how you decided, you know, yes. sometimes it was maybe their main thing they're known for, but often yes. it was something different. Yeah,
1: and sometimes they're kind of frustrated, <laughs> but they've trusted me. Yeah. Like I interviewed Stephen M. R. Covey, uh-huh. The Speed of Trust the son of our founder, Stephen R. Covey, for Bastard Mentors Volume One, yeah. and I didn't write at all about trust. I wrote about an experience I had with him 30 years ago in the company, where he, at the last minute, made a bold decision to pull a product we were launching off of the launch because it wasn't ready yet. Mm-hmm. He didn't think it met the standard of Franklin Covey's you know, mantle of excellence, and it impacted a lot of people's paychecks and clients' implementations nice. and President's Club Awards, and he made a bold decision to, quote, pull the plug. Yeah. And we told the program and launched it to enormous fame and success, you know, for a decade as a leadership offering. So sometimes I pick things that, I usually pick things that resonate with me as a father, as a spouse, as a guy struggling to raise his credit score, as a guy that's, you know, trying to write books or build my career or be a better friend. And so far they've uh, hit you know, people I think pretty
0: well. They do, they Thanks. do. And that's that neat idea of you get to curate for us in a world where there's a lot of lessons, but these are really poignant yeah. ones. Okay, we have a couple more that okay, I'd like to great, talk about. Great. So, so, Guy Kawasaki. This Kawas- is a three
1: hour interview, is that yeah, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> right.
0: We're going, next one, next one, next one. <laughs> so, Guy Kawasaki yes. yeah. is someone that I very much admire. Yes. Can you share Guy's story sure. from Master Mentor well,
1: Guy has a very complicated story in a good way, right? I mean, I think he went to Stanford, he's a very accomplished. Uh, business entrepreneur, he yeah, was one decades, of the first employees right? at Apple. Yes. he's a tech icon. He's an ambassador for many brands. He's a he's a really uh, uh, self aware, unassuming guy. Mm-hmm. He talks about how he kind of missed the boat on like five big products. He always <laughs> left before everybody made all the money. And he's a prolific uh, blogger and podcaster and host, and written a flurry of books. Mm-hmm. My favorite one is a book that he called Wise Guy. His name is Guy Kawasaki. He's often mistaken for Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And he talks about how people think he's Robert. He's like, I wish I had that guy's money. (laughs) I'm the Poor Dad guy, he'll say. (laughs) But he wrote um, this book that was full of life lessons. And in the chapter, I don't share one insight. There was so much wisdom from Guy. I like shared 30 things or 20 things I thought you might be interested in. You've got to watch the video. Better yet, read his book, Wise Guy. It is a treasure trove of insights. But there's one story that, I, that, I, that struck me, and I don't expand on it in the book, but I'll talk about it now, is when he was writing like his 15th book, he decided to do a little bit of a crowdfunding thing where he, he said uh, on his social media, he wants to uh, put out a contest for whoever will create the most amazing book cover for his book. Whichever one he That's picks, fun. he'll pay him like a $1,000. Yes, yes. And so he, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of artists created book covers, and he picked one of them and he paid him, paid him whatever the money was. And he got some vitriol on it, because some people really came after him saying, you're just abusing us, and you're taking all of our work without paying anything. us. And people really came after him, in the, some came after him in the community. And in, in the lesson he teaches is, no, you know, sometimes you gotta have skin in the game. I haven't been paid for everything I've done. I haven't been paid for 90% of what I've done. I, I'm in any given time, I'm coaching eight or 10 people for free. Please don't call me, I'm busy. But (laughs) but Geysher is a story, no, sometimes you do things to build your brand, to Mm -hmm. get seen. You don't get paid for everything you do. And there's this sort of, this wave going on in social media around how now when people ask you to do something, here's how you should respond. Well, I'm usually paid for this kind of thing. What is your budget? And I say hogwash. Yeah. Hogwash. Someone calls me and wants me to review their book. I don't have time, but I usually say yes. Because I didn't get here in this seat or sometimes in that seat, yeah. by not saying yes to a lot of people, people helping me as well too. So I don't agree with this new trend going on around how to make sure you always monetize all of Every your talents. Every moment of your time. No. Yes, you yeah. got to be thoughtful around not you know, giving away your life for free. But I love about Guy's point was sometimes you got to make investments that don't always pay off because oftentimes they will. Make sure you're smart, right? Don't give away all your time and talent. Mm -hmm. You can abundance yourself into not being able to pay for your light bill. I've not met anybody that stupid. There's a balance, but I really love this story around, guy kind of pushed back and just said, my intent was never to abuse you. My intent was to make a deal, whichever one I pick, I'll pay you X amount of dollars. The rest I'll throw away. And he did. And it's really resonated with me to remind people, you'll build your brand as a creative, trustworthy person by willing to help and being smart about when it's right to be paid for your time and talent. And it's not always.
0: You know, as you're talking, what I really love is how some of these stories play off of each other. Some you can draw parallels for, because think about the story you just said and how it ties to the very first one of what matters most to you. Because there's a lot of talk of boundaries, right? Everybody needs boundaries. It feels like that's the big trend. I've got boundaries. But you can only create the right boundaries if you know what matters most to you. And if you know that, then you should be saying yes to things, even if they don't pay, if they line up with what your true priorities true. are. and you
1: kinda can't create boundaries. Until people know you have value to add. Right. Because otherwise there's no need for boundaries, right? Right. And, and I, I'm quite uh, proud of the success I've had in my career. And my literary career is incrementally growing. <laughs> incrementally. <laughs> You're doing
0: brilliant. And work.
1: I'm continuing to hopefully have my brand be, I'll try to help whoever I can. Because I didn't mm-hmm. get here on my own. And nor will you. And there's some things you should pay me for and some things that are just part of me being a good citizen and a good friend and showing up for people. Because I have earned wisdom from my mistakes and my successes that somebody else can learn from. I I think Guy is a treasure trove. Read uh, Wise Guys and watch his video.
0: Okay, Yeah. thank you, thank you. That is part of the hard work. We just talked about how hard it is. That's part of the hard work, right? Uh, Okay, so Scott. The final one, you okay. selected very carefully, oh, no. <laughs> Ed Milet is yes. the final yes. story in the book, yeah. the final mentor in the book. So can you take a few minutes sure. and give us some context and why, why Ed and why is this such an important yes, one?
1: Yeah, so I'm not sure there's a person left in the world who doesn't know who Ed Milet is. He's a big social media influencer, written several books, very famous entrepreneur based in California, a keynote speaker. He has an NBC, I think, TV program coming out next year. And I saw him speak once at an event. I had no idea who this guy was. I was he and I both were invited to Rachel Hollis's uh, Rise oh, Business Summit yes. uh-huh. in Charleston, South Carolina. 7,000 people. I clearly like, broke into that one, right? Thank you, Rachel <laughs> Hollis and Dave Hollis, by the way. And he was telling this hysterical story on stage, and so I invited him onto the podcast. And since then, he's launched a Wall Street Journal bestselling book and has risen substantially. But he tells this story of early in his career in California, he was desperate to look successful. Who's not? The difference between Ed and the rest of us, Ed just tells the truth about our own insecurity. So Ed was running sales for a small financial services company and he wanted to look successful. He thought that looked like driving a Mercedes. I can relate. But Ed couldn't afford a Mercedes. So in California, he opened up this little kind of throwaway newspaper called the Penny Saver and he saw someone selling a Mercedes down in Laguna Beach. He drives down and it's a kit car. Now if you know from like the 70s and 80s kit cars were a thing where you'd buy a car that wasn't really the right car it was kind of like a counterfeit car but this particular car was actually a Chrysler LeBaron with a Mercedes body on top of it it's fairly popular these kit cars were you know car x with car y like welded hack. on top car of hack. it exactly yeah. <laughs> but this kit car this Chrysler LeBaron had a difference about it the Mercedes body wasn't welded onto it It was Velcroed onto it. (laughs) The entire Mercedes body, Lena, was Velcroed onto it. And the lady who sold it to him, according to uh, Ed, said, yeah, she was kind of on hard times. There might have been some meth going on. I'm not sure, he said. The lady very gingerly said, but I've got to warn you. Whenever you enter an intersection, you've got to ease in. Because if you come in too hard and too fast, the headlights will pop off. Ed says, yeah, I kinda discounted that. I had a Mercedes now, so he said he spent hundreds of times learning the lesson, coming in hard into an (laughs) intersection, pop lights or the headlights popping off, having to Velcro them back on. Horribly masculinating fast forward, one day after a conference, he's leading his sales team like back to the hotel. And he's got twenty guys in their cars behind him, and he gets pulled over by a a police officer. Mm. He gets pulled over they arrest Ed, put him in the back of the police car with his entire sales staff lined up on the side of the road wondering, what's going on with our boss? The police officer comes back to the car and says, you're being arrested. And, and Ed goes, why? This car is not stolen. And the police says, yes, it is. You're driving a Chrysler LeBaron. And Ed says, oh, my gosh. Or he says, that's not a Mercedes. And then Ed says, actually, the plates match the car. The car is a Chrysler LeBaron. It's not a Mercedes. Let me out and I'll show you. And so Ed gets out of the car and the police officers take the door off and they all come off and they throw them in the bushes and they're dying laughing. <laughs> and all the staff is realizing that's not a Mercedes. And Ed goes on to say he's such a great salesperson he ended up selling the car just sold on his team. <laughs> and I convinced him the car was actually the first ever hybrid. It was a hybrid Chrysler on the inside and a Mercedes on the outside. Long before there were ever, like, you know, electric gas. He said he had the first ever Mercedes Chrysler. Fortunately for him, Chrysler and Mercedes had just merged so he could pull it off. It's hysterical. Beyond the hilarity of the story, he's a great storyteller, better than I am. We've all got something Velcro going on in life. Mm. We've all got... I'm Mercedes body, velcroed on yes. our Chrysler LeBaron, yes. and I write this story a because everyone needs a good story. Yeah. But b to just ask yourself, you know, what's your kit car? What's the what's kit going? You know car? what what? <laughs> your headlights are popping off, putting them back on. How bold are you, just I'd like to hold up your headlight and say, "Yeah, it popped off. I'm putting it back <laughs> on." Because I think it comes to this idea that vulnerability is a leadership competency. Right. This is what leaders should be thinking and yes. doing and modeling. Yes. And I think it's an important. Uh, an important trait to be comfortable with your kit car and laugh about it. And I put it in there because, A, it's a great story, but, B, I think it's profound to think, well, if Ed can share that story,
0: right. then I can share any story. Right. right, right. And much easier said than done. Yes. But there is a real power to saying, should own the kit car. Yeah, Own yeah. that it's Velcro it, together. And talk about it with your team. Yes.
1: Right? Yes. Yes, yeah, so that you don't... That you don't uh, They're not seen as unapproachable or unrelatable. Because leaders need to become more relatable to their teams, right? People don't quit bad jobs. They quit bad, unrelatable leaders and corrupt cultures. And the more you can balance accountability with um, sort of relationship... And relatability, and vulnerability, vulnerability yeah. makes you a great leader.
0: Yeah, yeah. thank you, Scott. Thanks. Thank for today. you. What an amazing accomplishment! A big congratulations. Before we sign number three off.
1: coming out next year, volume yeah, three on the way. Yeah, that's right. Play, number three. Adam Grant, Mel Robbins, amazing. Robin Sharma, uh, uh, James Clear. Lots of great authors coming out in volume three.
0: Congratulations. It's amazing. It's already underway. I hope that next year, I hope I did a good enough job this (laughs) year. year? (laughs) That next year I get to come sit in the seat and interview as well. But Scott, I want to say one last thing you certainly do shine an amazing light on those around you. And I know you say that you have spent years in the spotlight, (laughs) but I don't know anyone who does this so well, who curates and finds amazing lessons and then makes them relatable and pushes and pulls and makes us think. And Scott, you're really extraordinary. Thank you. you. I'm glad to be your friend. Thank you. And thank you all for joining on Leadership Podcast. We will be back again next week with Scott in this chair (laughs) interviewing. You'll be glad to have him back. Thank you and have a great day.